So hey, just before I get started, um, we sent out on Friday a survey to anybody that we have an email address for, so members and friends, um, you should have received a survey from us. Thank you for those who have already filled it out. If you haven't had a chance yet, it's literally going to take you two minutes or less to fill out uh, this very brief survey. But it's really helpful for us as we are planning and dreaming about the future to keep our finger on the pulse of where our uh, members and friends uh, stand on issues related to worship and volunteering and, of course, children. And uh, so if you'd fill that out, that would be really great. And of course, it's uh, anonymous, and we'll be sharing the results for you all, uh, with you all uh, coming up pretty quickly. So thanks in advance for that. So um, this summer, uh, my Uncle Paul died. Uh, Uncle Paul was 92 years old, and um, he had a significant influence on my life through most of my life. It was interesting. We had a memorial service via Zoom. Um, Paul and uh, his wife, who predeceased him, uh, Sally, lived out in Lancaster um, for the last 20-some years. And uh, so family members and friends are scattered all around the country, and so it just was going to be a, a better experience, we thought, to do this by Zoom. And it was interesting. All of the folks on the Zoom uh, memorial service in my generation, uh, not all of us, but, but several said, you know, Paul kind of intimidated me. And I understood that because Paul was one of those guys that when you were with him, um, as a young person, he didn't just say, hey, how's school going? He'd say, what classes are you taking? And what grades are you getting in those classes? <laughs> and what are your plans for your future? And why do you want to do that and not this? And it felt intimidating, and he could be a little gruff. Um, it was just kind of his style. And uh, so it wasn't surprising that, that uh, we felt a little intimidated by him, and I did too, until as I got to know him, he said something that really put it in context for me. He said, why settle for good when great is possible? Why settle for good when great is possible? I think sometimes we settle for good because it's easier, right? I mean, great sometimes takes so much effort and so forth that we, we settle for good. But even more than that, I think one of the reasons that we settle for good is that we mistake what is good for what is great. We get those ideas wrong sometimes. The scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning is about a guy who was looking for great, but who settled for good. And the problem, friends, is that when you have been confronted by great, settling for good is never good enough for you anymore. 
So we're looking at this story, and as Amanda just said, we're looking at a story that has become known as the rich young ruler. And it's a profound story. In fact, it was so profound that three of the gospel writers include it in their account of Jesus' life and ministry. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. And so you know that it must have been a profound thing that all three of the gospel writers included it in their, in their account. So in Mark's gospel, it's found in the 10th chapter, and it begins at verse 17. So I'm going to go through this story and look at the whole story and read a couple of chunks, okay? So chunks is the Hebrew word for little pieces of scripture. All right, so here's how it starts. As Jesus started on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Right from the get-go, Jesus challenges this man about his use of the word good. Commentators uh, have various um, understandings or interpretations of why uh, Jesus did that and what he was, the point he was trying to make and so forth. But as I was reading it this time, I was wondering, if maybe Jesus saw something in this guy that we're calling an underlying condition. Maybe in that statement, good teacher, Jesus became aware of an underlying condition in this man. And in fact, Jesus is going to expose an underlying condition as this encounter continues on. A couple of quick observations. In Matthew's account, Matthew actually says that this guy who came was a young man. Mark doesn't say it or doesn't write that, but in a sense, he kind of does, right? So the first hint is he ran up to Jesus, right? I ain't running up to anybody anymore, right? I'm not running anywhere. And the other thing that Mark says is he knelt, <laughs> right? Young guys can do that. If, if an older guy were to run up, he wouldn't. He'd hobble up or he'd saunter up. And if he knelt, it would be, <laughs> right? And then it would have been embarrassing because at the end of it, he'd have had to say to somebody, could you help me up? Right? So he's a young guy. This is a young man. I love his enthusiasm. As I read this story, as you read this account, you can sense the enthusiasm. He's running up, he's kneeling down, and he asks a great, great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. You know, I think 
I wish more people would ask that kind of question. I wish more of us asked truly great questions. I think we all ask good questions at times. How do I get ahead? You know, what do I, what do, I do about this, that, or the next thing? The difference between a good question and a great question is a great question has a God component to it. Good questions ask about things that are temporary. How do I get ahead? Well, you know, there's only, that's only going to matter for a period of time, and this life is so short. But a great question asks things like, where is God in the midst of this? How can I please God in the decisions that I'm going to be making? What's the most God-honoring thing I can do right now? These are great questions. So, it wasn't the young man's enthusiasm or his question that Jesus is challenging. There's something else here. There's some underlying condition. So Jesus says, you know, why do you call me good and only God is good? And, and then Jesus goes on and he addresses the question directly. And Jesus says, well, well you know the laws and the commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, don't bear false witness, don't commit adultery. And so Jesus is laying out, you know, the Ten Commandments. And the man's response is, I've done all that stuff since I was a kid. I've done it all. He was a rule follower. When God's word said, do something, this guy did it. When the rule book said, when the commandment said, don't do something, the guy didn't do it. And that's good. Pastor Rick and I have, on various occasions, in talking about the Ten Commandments, made the point that really the Ten Commandments, when it comes to human interaction, are just the baseline of decent human behavior, right? Of course, don't steal. Don't kill somebody. Don't commit adultery. You know, these are, these are not high standards, right? This is basic good human behavior that whether you are a person of faith or not makes sense. But what I noticed was in Jesus' answer to this young man is he doesn't reference all 10 commandments. And in fact, he leaves one particular one out that catches my attention. And it's this one commandment that is the most important of them all. And it's the one that I think we all fall short on at times in our lives, and maybe many times in our lives. Now hold that thought. I'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. So the story goes on. Jesus tells him, you know, here's, here's what the commandments are, and the guy says, yeah, I've done all of that, and here's where the story picks up. 
Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Remember the man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And remember Jesus' first response to him, called him out on his understanding of the word good. Maybe, maybe the underlying condition was that this man was settling for good when great was possible right there before him. He was a good man. He observed and obeyed the law and the commandments. But there was this one commandment that maybe he struggled to obey. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And when given the opportunity to inherit eternal life and to follow Jesus, he took a pass. His possessions, his wealth, his personal comforts had become a God that he put before God. All of the things that he had aren't bad things. All good things. To have a house is a good thing. To have nice furniture is a good thing. To have clothes to wear, good thing. None of it was bad until those good things became more important than the truly great thing. A life of following Jesus. And the man's reaction was interesting to me. He didn't argue with Jesus. He didn't try to negotiate, you know, like, well, what do you mean by everything? And can I keep, you know, my 401K? Can I, what do you mean everything? He didn't, he didn't do that. I think he knew that Jesus had put his finger on this underlying condition. Why would he be asking Jesus at all, what must I do to inherit eternal life, if he already was a man of deep faith, if he already was obeying the laws? Like, what was he fishing for here? And I think he understood 
in a deep way that his money, his possessions, had become more important to him than really following after God. So, the rich young man walks away, sad. But that's not the end of the story. So now we get the story of Jesus talking with his disciples and processing what they just saw. And so here's where it picks up. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Then who in the world can be saved, they, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. So what's going on here? The disciples, put them in their context, the disciples have been raised with a theology of blessing. A theology of blessing says that if you are a person of affluence, it's because God really loves you and gave all of these blessings to you. If you are a person who is healthy, God gave you that health as a reward for being such a good person. If you were poor or sick or handicapped, God was angry with you. You did something wrong or your family had done something wrong, and that was God's way of punishing you. So here the disciples, they see this young, healthy guy who can kneel down without grunting, who's got affluence, and they're thinking, this is, this is the elite. This is the, this is the people God loves. And Jesus is saying, it's so hard for them to enter into the kingdom. What? What about us then? Because we don't have that kind of money. And Jesus teaches a really important truth. That doesn't matter. Your money, the things that you have, are not what give you entrance into the kingdom of God. You can't do it on your own. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you have. There's nothing that you do that will give you entrance into the kingdom of God. God alone makes it possible for us to enter into his kingdom. And Jesus is showing them this new covenant, this new way that's no longer based on the law and sacrifice, 
but following him, faith in him, the way to inherit eternal life isn't give everything that you have to the poor. That wasn't Jesus' point. Jesus' point was, come and follow me. And put aside anything that will hinder you from doing that. And so for this young man, it was his stuff. Put that aside. That's good stuff, but I'm offering you that which is great. Don't allow the good to obscure the great. The Apostle Paul got this. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, you know, I was born into the Jewish faith. I was circumcised at eight days old. I was a part of the elite tribe of Benjamin. I studied under the greatest teachers. I became a Pharisee who were the most devout to the law, and not just a Pharisee, but a leader among the Pharisees. I was a zealous man for the faith. And all of that that I used to think was so good, now I consider rubbish when I compare it to the greatness following Jesus. So the practical implications of this for us, to think about your life. You know, we invest so much time, so much effort, so much resource in good things. But what about the great? I mean, a job is a good thing. Physical fitness is a good thing. Education is a good thing. Leisure time is a good thing. But are you settling for just good things when great is possible? And so if so, what, are, what is something that you could put aside, give up, to allow more time, more focus, more resource to pursue that which is great. At the end of the story in Mark, Peter says to Jesus, you know, Jesus, it's a pretty bold statement, but it's Peter. You know, Jesus, I gave up a lot to follow you. I gave up a lot. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, Anything that you give up to follow me, you'll receive a hundredfold in the kingdom of God. A hundredfold. What Jesus was saying was, anything that we surrender in this life in order to follow him won't even come close to comparing the blessing." It will be in our lives and in the lives of the people around us when we follow the kingdom of God. You know, I'm glad I had an Uncle Paul in my life who as a young man challenged 
me. To not settling for good when great is possible. And the thing that Paul, my uncle, pursued in his life was his relationship with Jesus Christ. It was central to who he was and all he did. And when he died, he didn't have a house. He no longer owned a car. He didn't have a lot of money in the bank. But the influence of his life on the lives of everyone he touched was so profound that they would take that and touch the lives of others. And I'm a living testimony to that. The impact he had on my life so profoundly touched me that each of you, each who have been a part of this community of faith, have indirectly been influenced by Uncle Paul. And friends, that's what great looks like. Let's stand together as we pray. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the possibility the promise and the hope of a truly great life. Measured not in terms of the things that we possess, the money that we gather, the titles that we accumulate, but by the influence that you have on our lives as we follow you and how then we can be an influence on the lives of others. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing on each of those who are a part of this service right now. And pray, Lord, that you would lift our eyes beyond the good things and to seek the great things that come as we follow you, knowing that our lives will be a hundredfold better as we do. And so we will give you the thanks and the praise now and always for the ways that you lead and guide us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, friends, may the Lord bless you, and he surely has. May the Lord keep you, and he surely will. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you this day and forever. Amen. Have a great day.